Welcome to the 463rd episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome and thanks for listening. We're actually having some low temperature into the 40s here in the mornings and then we get up to the 70s. I know everybody up north feels sorry for me, but um, it's kind of nice to try out different gear. Um, you know, I've different outfits that I wear, depending on the temperature, layer up, uh, usually is an uh, easy way to do it, um, short sleeve and then a long sleeve, rarely do you have to do much more than that down here, occasionally a little bit of a windbreaker, but all is well, otherwise, um, pretty much recovered from the long haul 100, in that I uh, still have a little bit of tendonitis in my left ankle uh, that I'm working through. So keeping the mileage low for a little bit longer. I actually hired a coach for the Leadville Trail 100, Eric Pence. Eric has finished the um, Leadville Trail 100 uh, in the double digits. I can't remember how many finishes he has now, but um, he's up there first or second as far as number of finishes. And uh, he lives at altitude, and he's 59 years old, so that uh, gives him a little perspective into me as far as what it's going to take for me to get across the line at Leadville. Um, I've covered the distance of 100 miles, now we have to take it up to 12,000 feet and add some technical up and downs into that. So uh, a lot more strength training. Um, We have the Cruel Jewel in Georgia that gives us some altitude change. Uh, another trail race on the horizon to try to, you know, just get in the dirt more. Um, but uh, looking forward to having some help so that I don't hurt myself, so to speak, uh, by trying to throw too many things at it, um, but yet do the right thing. If anybody's lived long enough to have seen Rocky One uh, when it first came out, um, it's a little bit what my situation is, so it's going to be... Uh, a battle of working harder uh, to try to get the job accomplished. I am not going to resort to raw eggs, however. Um, but again, the last couple of days with the weather in the 40s, I have uh, resorted to uh, some gray training clothes. So who knows? You know, we might get that Rocky music playing a little bit. It appears that this week is the week to throw fruit under the bus. Um, there was a study um, that associated increased fruit intake with increase in worsening of fatty liver disease. Um, fatty liver is just what it sounds like, uh, accumulation of fat within the liver that ultimately leads to cirrhosis and liver failure. Once you have cirrhosis, um, it's pretty hard to turn the clock back. Fatty liver is the leading indication for heart transplants in the United States. Um, it's obviously associated with Uh, being overweight for prolonged periods of time. Uh, We talked last week about marbling um, and, you know, excessive body weight. Um, So same thing, the liver gets fatty, uh, replaces or smashes liver functioning cells. Liver enzymes may go up. The liver's ability to make proteins, clear toxins go down. Um, Blood pressure in the liver can go up, leads to fluid retention, ultimately liver failure. The liver is also related to uh, the bone marrow and the spleen when things back up, so people can become uh, profoundly anemic. Uh, Their platelets can drop, uh, as well as the accumulation of fluids. So uh, it's something that you want to avoid. Fatty liver is reversible through diet. 
Um, so getting off the weight uh, results in getting and eliminating the, the fat in the liver. But this study blamed fruit for increasing fatty liver disease. Um, and it was uh, pretty much tailored to make people or give people the answer that they were looking for as far as the researchers go. Patients were randomly assigned to eat four fruits a day or two fruits a day, um, four or more or less than two, it should be. And then they looked at uh, ultrasound, blood sugar, insulin sensitivity, liver function tests, and followed these people for six months. Uh, they had 36 women and 36 men, obviously not a very large study. Um, all of them had a body mass index that was abnormal. Two of the patients were lost to follow-up, so they didn't count in the results. Two dis were, um, just discontinued the study, so they didn't show up. And four actually were asked to leave because they were non-compliant. They didn't say what they did to become non-compliant, but they were non-compliant. So that left um, you know, an even smaller group, and they looked at their fruit consumption um, as well as other things by questionnaire. Interestingly... Um, the study group, the people assigned to eat more fruit, also ate more bread, more calories, more fat, more dairy, more everything, uh, more meat. Uh, so their total calories went up. Um, their body mass index went up by three, which is significant from 28 to 31, um, versus the people in the control told to eat no more than two fruits a day. Their body mass index went down by two. They also, those people had less calories than the... Um, um, fruit group. So, the, you know, everybody blamed basically that um, eating the fruit caused, you know, people to gain weight. But you can see by everything, their whole caloric, their whole dietary menu increased, not just the fruit consumption. So it's kind of hard to really, you know, it's just like picking, cherry picking what you want to blame for uh, somebody's failure, so to speak. I have never seen anybody gain weight on just eating fruit um, or, well, we, I've challenged people, just eat fruit for a week, see what happens. Um, we have one gentleman that was overweight and he went to Costa Rica on vacation, almost ate fruit every day. His diabetes was under perfect control. Um, I've also had people tell me that they gained weight because they were eating too many grapes or too much fruit. Of course, everybody sees the bananas on TV, you know, and on the internet, that's, that's a bad thing for you. But the reality of it is um, gaining weight in these individuals that were already overweight is what resulted in worsening fatty liver disease, not, you know, you can't just pick out fruit as causing the problem. Colorful fruit, high in fiber, high in antioxidants, nutrients high in water, hydrating, it's not going to be what throws you under the bus. And again, take the challenge yourself. Uh, do a week. It's not going to hurt you. Uh, do a week and eat nothing but fruit and see what happens to your weight. See what happens to your glucose. It's going to go down Be if you decide to do that. Please, if you're a diabetic and you're on insulin, make sure your doctor's aware and don't say Dr. Delaney said to because Dr. Delaney didn't say to as far as individuals go. So I'm not giving medical advice, but... Um, again, people that elect to eat fruit are going to see their sugars drop, not go up in the absence of other things. So, you know, if you're one of these people, which sounded like in the, you know, in the study that, you know, say, like, okay, I'm going to just eat fruit. I'm going to try to 
curb my cravings with that. And you know, you know, you eat fruit, and you're still hungry, you're gonna eat something else, gonna eat something else, something else. So, yes, there was more fruit, but the more of something else is really what, uh, or the cumulative effects of increased calories, increased weight gain is what is what ultimately got people into trouble. I have found personally that fruit um, fixed my sweet tooth, or at least. Um, calmed my sweet tooth uh, and made me satisfied. I grew up in a very high sugar pastry environment. um, And, you know, the thought of eating oatmeal without brown sugar or fruit without added sugar, or especially a grapefruit or, you know, without added sugar was just something that was unheard of. Um, So it took a little bit of doing, but I gradually weaned myself from processed sweets to fruit, uh, fruit in the morning, uh, fruit in the evening, fruit after lunch, uh, and my cravings for the other food went away. Um, The nutrients also made me feel better. Um, You know, anybody that's eaten pastries or cookies, you know, the reason why they talk talk about cookies in sleeves is that, you know, people just don't stop at one. But you know, very rarely do people eat five apples. Um, sometimes people eat more than one cutie, but, you know, again, they're, they're very, very tiny pieces of fruit. But um, your body understands the fiber, the hydration associated with fruit that you don't get in a piece of candy. Um, and, you know, you get a feedback that says, okay, I'm, I'm all right. Uh, and you start to uh, be very, very satisfied with the sugar that's in fruit. Um, you know, fruit is a combination of fructose and glucose, so it's really not sugar, uh, even though people um, try to lump it all together. But nevertheless, fructose and glucose are handled a little bit differently. Nevertheless, as far as your cravings go, um, things get, you know, much, much better. Everyone throws carbohydrates, sugar, fruit under the bus, um, because there's um, this so-called lack of control that we can't stop eating it. Um, High fructose corn syrup is much, much different than fruit as well. You know, it's been modified, it's been processed, doesn't count as far as that goes. But the reality of it is we have more sweet receptors on our tongue, so our taste buds for sweet is, is greater than any other taste bud. The connections to our brain for sweet is greater than any other connection. And through evolution, it's, it drives us to eat. Um, when we have cravings for sweet and sugar and glucose, we eat food uh, that keeps us alive. You know, we have taste buds for salt, and that's a, a means of hydration. Um, so that we need a, a certain amount of sodium that, you know, makes us thirsty and, and we drink, drink fluids. But sugar by far, you know, why would we have all these taste buds for sweet if we were meant to be uh, only eating fat and protein? Just, just wouldn't happen. Cancer cells handle sugar and carbohydrate differently. Um, it's an ineffective means, an uh, ineffective metabolic pathway, probably because of the disease itself. So cancer cells tend to go through more sugar. Um, it's been translated as sugar feeds cancer. But it's, you know, somewhat chicken or the egg um, because it, sugar just is not metabolized properly, so the cancer cell goes through more. Interestingly, the cancer cell, in the absence of sugar, is going to increase its desire for cholesterol and fat, so it doesn't really matter um, what the source is. If you feed cancer, um, it's going to use 
substrates for cellular growth just like any other, other cells. So fruit is not going to be what caused cancer. Um, antioxidants in fruit associate with a decreased risk of cancer. So if something is decreasing your risk of cancer, how could it possibly, once you have cancer, make it worse? I don't know. I don't follow it. People often tell me in the office, I eat a lot of blank, I eat a lot of fruit, I eat a lot of vegetables, I eat a lot of salads, but that has become in place, or not in place of, but in addition to all the other things that they were eating. And so and you tend to blame the things that you like the least. So again, you know, if I'm going to give up something, it'll be the fruit over the pastry. So I eat a lot of fruit, that caused my problem. Um, the reality of it is we need to look a little bit harder for, um, you know, the source of weight gain. And then, again, this study, every, they increased their intake of all the foods, not just uh, fruit. However, uh, in the British Medical Journal, uh, there was a study published looking at a decreased risk of cardiovascular disease, decreased risk of heart attacks and strokes uh, over an eight-year period in a uh, veterans program that looked at um, over 150,000 veterans, and those who ate more plants had less events. Um, so they, they um, looked at them in quartiles. The more plants you eat, uh, the better the cardiovascular outcomes and stroke outcomes. There was also associated decreased risk of weight gain, diabetes, uh, as well as total um, uh, cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular disease mortality. African-Americans tended to have even a bigger reduction in cardiovascular events when they were in the group that had the highest amount of plants. Interestingly, um, these people were not completely plant-based. It was the amount of plants versus other foods in the diet. Um, they also compared, you know, their, their comparison group was people that ate a similar food category but uh, wasn't plant-based. So, just, you know, people say, well, what should I eat? Or I can't ever be completely plant-based. You know, look at the curve. You know, my mom used to say, we eat so much better than we used to. And I said, that's true. But, um, you know, that doesn't mean that what we did was good. And it doesn't mean that we couldn't do better. Um, so look at where you're at. We meet people in our practice by looking where they're at. We don't demand that people become plant-based. But we don't um, also ignore the fact that what you eat matters very much with regard to your health. So we want to turn that dial back towards or towards more plant food and not more plant food on top of other food, but instead of other food. And we want to make the diet very, very balanced. So plants are rich in fiber. They're the only thing that has fiber. Animal products don't have fiber. They're rich in antioxidants, phytonutrients, decrease cancer growth, decrease blood vessel growth to cancer, Yet, a lot of people, including dietitians, will say, but you have to be very careful because you can become nutrient deficient. And of course, most of you know, and we've talked about before, people are worried about becoming protein deficient. But the other thing that people get really concerned about is iron deficiency. You're going to become iron deficient and you're going to become anemic. And everybody throws the pasty vegan under the bus saying, look, they don't get enough nutrients. They're all pale. They don't, you know, they're not getting enough iron. Uh, and that's why, you know, they're not going to do very well. The reality of it is it's pretty hard not to get enough iron on a plant-based diet. It's a different kind of iron. So um, 
Iron comes in a, you know, in a variety of sources. It comes in elemental iron, organic iron, inorganic iron, uh, and it comes in a form of heme or in blood. So animal iron is usually associated with heme or the blood of an animal. And red meat, dark meat, has more blood, more heme, more myoglobin than uh, white meat, so it's a higher source of iron. The cow had to eat plants to get the iron. So the cow ate the plant iron, uh, turned it into muscle. Meat eaters eat the muscle, and that's where they get their iron. It's a lot easier um, to absorb heme iron than it is uh, iron from plants. Um, but that's a good thing, as we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, doesn't mean you can't absorb it. It's just a couple steps more uh, when you're eating uh, organic iron. But again, if you vitamin C is something that potentiates the absorption of um, plant iron, and it's hard not to eat vitamin C when you're eating a diet rich in fruits and vegetables. So in the morning, uh, when you're having your oats that have iron, or you're with your maybe some molasses, uh, maybe pumpkin seeds. Uh, all of which are rich in iron, and you have some citrus with that, um, you increase your iron uh, absorption. Teas can decrease uh, plant-based iron absorption. So uh, people that are, have a diet that's high in teas or high in, uh, you know, or people that are on antacids may not absorb as much. Um, lunchtime, tomatoes, peppers, um, all things that have vitamin C, cucumbers, potato skins, beans, um, you know, all have iron. So again, the thing with the plant-based diet is that there's not a giant source of any one nutrient, but the variety of the diet dribbles in all the nutrients that one needs. To make, um, iron is involved in, in almost every um, process in the body. It's, re it's, it's very much involved in metabolism and DNA repair um, and DNA production, uh, oxidative pathways. But the one, one thing that we think when we hear iron is hemoglobin, uh, and you don't want to be an, anemic. But it actually takes three things to make a hemoglobin molecule, uh, or three, three nutrients that we have to consume, iron, B12, and folate. In a plant-based diet, unless you're eating dirty vegetables, your B12 is going to be low. Um, or if you eat um, foods that are supplemented or enriched with B12. Um, just as an aside note, when people say, oh, the diet is bad because it doesn't have B12, if you don't eat fish or salt, you can become iodine deficiency or seaweed. So nutrients, you know, we added, uh, you know, foods that became fortified, cereals became fortified with iron and nutrients and minerals because in and of themselves, the processing took it out. So, you know, don't throw a plant-based diet under the bus because we have to eat a variety of sources um, or we have to have a supplement of, of a little bit of B12, nutritional yeast. Some of it is fortified. Some uh, silk milks are fortified with B12. So you just have to look, but most people end up taking one or two or maybe three uh, B12 tab chewable tablets a week, uh, and that does it. You should have it measured if you're plant-based. The level should be somewhere around 500. Um, folate uh, is another thing that used to make hemoglobin cells. Um, it's hard to not have folate if you're eating a plant-based diet that's, you know, you have a salad every day. So folic acid, uh, folate, um, carrots, peppers, 
um, you know, all things that are very high, green leafy vegetables, nuts and seeds, all very high in folic acid. Uh, I have never seen a case of folate deficiency in somebody that ate vegetables. Uh, and the last being iron, again, uh, we absorb iron from plant-based sources. So how do you know if you're anemic? Um, you know, you tell, tell your doctor you're a vegan, and of course they'll be worried that you're anemic right up front. Um, but, but that's not the case. We measure your hemoglobin. Uh, your hemoglobin is the molecule that carries oxygen um, in our blood and delivers the oxygen to our tissues. Uh, hemoglobin has oxygen carbo and carbon dioxide and a variety of other, other things associated with it. But um, it is um, uniquely necessary to, in order to deliver oxygen to cells. So think about hemoglobin as being trucks. Your heart is the dispatcher. Um, your heart sends it pumps and sends the trucks out carrying oxygen to the body on the hemoglobin molecules. If you're anemic, you have less hemoglobin molecules. So that means you have less trucks to get out on the highway, so you have to send those trucks out more often. So the heart has to pump more often in order to circulate the blood uh, more frequently. And over time, if someone is profoundly anemic, that can lead to heart failure because the heart is overworking. That does not happen with a little bit of anemia. Um, the normal hemoglobin for women is over 12 normal for men over 13, 13 and a half, 14. Um, high hemoglobins can be also dangerous. Um, think about Tour de France and blood doping to increase the oxygen carrying capacity when so they start to get a hemoglobins over 17, 18 and get dehydrated, there's a risk of clotting. So too much hemoglobin can be bad if you're in the case of trying to artificially elevate your hemoglobin. Um, but nevertheless, um, until your hemoglobin gets less than 10, you're really not going to notice it much. Um, so when people say they're tired, you know, a hemoglobin of, you know, a couple tenths of a point down, that's really not going to um, make a difference. If someone's, um, we don't consider transfusing people with blood unless their hemoglobin's less than seven or a half or eight. Uh, we used to transfuse people if their hemoglobin was less than 10 in the presence of cardiovascular disease. Um, that's out of favor as well for the most part, um, mainly because of the limited blood supply. But um, so you really have to have your hemoglobin has to be down for a significant period of time. Um, most of the time it's a gradual drift unless somebody has a frank loss of blood. So women are always obviously going to be more um, prone to have iron loss, blood loss on a monthly basis. Um, men tend to accumulate iron because they're not really getting rid of much other than the breakdown from the liver. So iron toxicity can be an issue in men over time. Um, you know, GI bleeding, um, big nosebleeds, uh, big surgeries, broken bones, big broken bones, femur broken, not just a wrist fracture, but big bones that are broken can, can result in loss of blood and anemia. When people are very ill, um, they tend to not make blood like they should, and they can have what we call an anemia of chronic disease, where their bone marrow is just not um, making the blood cells that they need, even though the substrates are there. So 
if somebody is found on a regular routine blood test to be anemic, then this, you know, this, the first thing that happens is you look at you know, this, the main substrate, iron, B12, and folate. Um, again, everybody looks back to the iron to see if that's the problem. Um, and you know, that's what's measured. Um, you may have heard of a protein called ferritin. Ferritin is the blood protein that stores iron. Um, so it's like the pantry for your iron stores. And if your ferritin is low, um, that may mean that, you know, that you're not, um, you, you don't, your iron stores are low. There is a thing called a total iron binding capacity. And so again, if you have a lot of room to bind iron, that's not there. That's a source of you potentially are, uh, iron deficient. We also look at a thing called a reticulocyte count, so we can see if the bone marrow is actually trying to make red blood cells. So if you're making red blood cells and you're still anemic, you might actually um, have some sort of chronic blood loss someplace, whether it's an ulcer or um, some other blood loss someplace, um, you know, that can also be an issue. But again, you know, everybody gets worried about iron uh, being too low, but the reality of it is we don't want too much of it either because it's toxic. Before I go down the road of toxicity, iron sources, you know, think about Popeye, so green leafy vegetables, good source of iron. Beans are a great source of iron. Soybeans, again, soybeans have the highest amount of protein. Soybeans also have the highest amount of iron. Um, Pumpkin seeds, quinoa, tofu, again, soy molasses, potatoes, particularly potato skins, dark chocolate, broccoli, uh, again, green leafy vegetables, lentils uh, after soybeans, chickpeas, um, and again, taking a source of vitamin C, food source, uh, increases your ability to take iron up uh, from the plants. Kids need about 7 to 10 milligrams a day. Uh, women need about 15 to 18 milligrams per day. Pregnant women need about 27 milligrams a day. Men need about 8 to 11 milligrams a day, again, because they don't lose iron through a monthly uh, blood loss. So if you drip in, you know, 4 grams of iron from your bean source and uh, 2 or 3 grams from your greens and 2 or 3 grams or milligrams from your quinoa, you can see how it's very, very easy to get adequate iron stores in just by whole foods. Not to mention the fact that, you know, if you're eating any cereals or uh, produced grains or flour products, a lot of them are iron enriched as well. So again, pretty hard to be iron deficient in the absence of blood loss or a very, very poor diet. And again, iron is used in a variety of different ways uh, in the body. Uh, for oxidation and reduction, transfer of electrons, because iron actually has unpaired electrons. Um, there's a ferrous iron, a ferric iron, a ferral iron. Um, but there's also a reaction that's harmful that generates a reactive oxygen species, ROS, uh, and they're linked to carcinogens, uh, carcinogens or um, promotion of cancers, um, abnormal repair of DNA. So, you know, there have been studies with the highest amounts of iron uh, are associated with the highest incidence of cancer. Uh, Large studies looking at um, 
total amounts of um, red meat that people eat, the people that eat the most red meat, most heme iron, most iron absorption, a much increased risk for esophageal cancer, colorectal, lung, liver, and pancreatic cancer. Um, people that are exposed to elemental iron, like steel mill industries or iron ore workers, uh, increased risk, welders, increased risk of lung and stomach cancer. So um, iron can, you know, people that have a genetic disorder that, that um, they can't get rid of iron and they have an increased absorption, hemochromatosis, increased risk of liver, colon, rectal, prostate, breast cancer. So there's more associated things with bad outcomes if you have too much iron than not enough iron. So if we go all the way back to that carnivore diet versus plant-based diet, Chances are um, you're going to get a lot less uh, toxic iron accumulation over the long haul um, by eating a plant-based diet than eating an animal source where you have the heme iron that you're going to readily absorb and there's no um, kind of no restriction, just kind of the doors open. If you eat it, you absorb it. Where the plant uh, iron it takes a little bit more steps to, to, to actually absorb it. So um, you're not going to become iron deficient being plant-based. Um, and it's actually going to be more healthier in the long term. There's also a study that people had severe peripheral vascular disease, so small blood vessels to their extremities. When they decreased their iron levels through phlebotomy, um, they actually had a decreased cancer mortality of about 37% over five years. So, um, again, no, don't throw the Geritol away. Throw the iron supplements away uh, if you're... You know, you don't have to worry about not getting enough. Look at your plate. Look at your plate and see if you have greens. See if you have beans. Um, and uh, you're well on your way. Uh, and grains, you're, you're well on your way to get uh, adequate iron levels. And I see these people on Twitter eating giant hunks of meat and, you know, thinking that that's healthier. Eight eggs or, you know, all this mono foods uh, in huge portions and, you know, for the life of me, I, you know, there's not any mono portion of anything that, you know, you would want to live on. We have a variety of foods available to us. We need to take advantage of them. The last crazy thing that I saw this week was the um, launching or the about-to-be-launched foot-long cookie at Subway. Uh, remember back in the day, there was a guy named Jared that ate Subways every day and lost, you know, 200 pounds because he was eating a plain Subway sandwich. Um, obviously, wasn't eating the chips and cookies associated with it. Um, a regular cookie at Subway has about 221 calories. 14% of that is, um, or I'm sorry, there's about 14 grams of fat associated with that. The footlong cookie is supposedly going to have about 1,440 calories to it. So yes, it is meant to share, but how many people do you think are really going to share? So people who want to get a Subway, they're eating this bread that has a bunch of oxid, you know, a bunch of chemicals in it. It smells like chemicals. If you think the bread in Subway smells good, you're not smelling bread, you're smelling chemicals. Um, now they're bragging because they sliced their own lunch meat there as opposed to bringing it in a baggie. I don't know how it makes it better. Um, maybe it makes it a little bit more fresh. It's less oxidized. It's still meat, still deli meat, uh, luncheon meat. So that's not good. Um, they have a variety of different sandwiches with cheese and all kinds of goopy stuff that they now put on things. And now we're going to add 
a foot-long chocolate chip cookie or foot-long cookie to the, to the mix. Um, none of that is the way to health. Um, you know, probably two grams of fiber in that whole thing that I spit out just now. Um, you know, the vegetables are also pre-cut and put, you know, stuff on them to make them last and not wilt. So um, it's a chemistry experiment there. Um, stay away. Again, people tend to forget those foods. Um, and again, go back and blame the grapes that, that they had for the weight gain and the fatty liver. Um, it's more along the lines of how many times do you frequent a fast food restaurant or frequent any restaurant where you don't have control of the ingredients uh, or the portion size. That's most likely the source of people's excessive energy intake. One of the things that um, we like to do on our members-only website is share recipes. Um, we have a general newsletter. If you'd like to receive it, there's a recipe every month. Uh, our members get um, that newsletter plus uh, a members-only newsletter with a recipe. Um, we do a nutrition class demonstration, and that recipe gets posted for the most part. I know somebody's going to say in the practice, not always. Sometimes I make up a recipe uh, when we're having nutrition class, but I talk about it as we're doing it. So uh, if you watch the members-only videos of the nutrition class, you'll see um, what exactly was in the recipe. You don't get to taste it. Uh, if you're a member of our practice, you get to come and actually eat the food as well. But we do pride ourselves on... Um, on our recipes and how to get food on the table for families uh, quickly, especially during the week. You know, sometimes on the weekend, I like to experiment with new foods, maybe, maybe add a little bit more time to what I'm making. But um, during the week, um, I, I like to get food on the table pretty quickly and pretty simply. And so I look for, you know, some, some simple ingredients and something that doesn't require a lot of prep a lot of, and a lot of cleanup either because I, you know, there's nothing, um, you know, you make a big meal and then you have to clean it all up as well. So I, you know, like things that are, that are simple. I like using an Instant Pot. Um, I made Irish stew this week with carrots and cabbage and potatoes and I usually put white beans in there. Um... But this week I put um, soy curls. If you haven't had uh, Butler's Organic Soy Curls, they're a soybean product. That, that actually kind of adds a different kind of flavor to it. Um, but a lot of times I'll just use white beans. Um, I made a falafel this week. Um, I was out of chickpeas, so I actually substituted uh, pinto beans with chickpea flour. It worked out fine. Um, used my air fryer for that. Um, no oil, just put them on a piece of parchment paper. They did just great. I served that with a salad that was cucumbers, peppers, um, tomatoes, some black olives, and lemon juice. So, and so I didn't have parsley, so I used some cilantro um, and dill, and that was really good. And I served that with uh, a piece of homemade flatbread that I just made on the fly uh, in about 10 minutes, a little bit of flour, uh, some plant-based yogurt, and water and just uh, put that in a dry pan and uh, made myself a little flatbread, stuffed it with the falafel and um, the tomato and cucumber salad. It's a delicious dinner. Um, the Irish stew tends to make a lot. You know, you, I don't know if I said cabbage in there, but um, 
you know, cabbage, potatoes, carrots, celery, plus minus onions. And um, that usually makes enough food for leftovers. So that's good lunch. Again, I'm going to have my cabbage in there. So I have my nitric oxide producing greens. Um, I looked for that in all my dishes. Do I have my nitric oxide producing greens, whether it's a salad uh, with mixed greens or broccoli? Um, another day this week, I did a yellow tomato sauce uh, with mustard and vinegar and uh, turmeric. And I put that over broccoli, mushrooms, and couscous. So um, a variety of different things that we like to make. And again, uh, the kind of one pot, one skillet wonders and that there's not a tremendous amount of cleanup. Um, you can get everything cleaned up while things are, you know, finally the final bake uh, uh, or the final stir fry. So easy food. That's what we like to teach people that want to take control of their health, get their blood pressure under control, get their diabetes under control. Uh, we had a great success story this week. A woman, you know, lost over... Um, um, you know, 25, 30 pounds, getting off of metformin, uh, getting back to her high school weight, feeling great, doing strength training, uh, walking 10,000 steps a day. So just needed a little bit of an oomph on looking at food and consistency. So if you're interested in that, we'd love to help you uh, get off some of your medications or prevent some of these diseases or reverse your fatty liver disease. We have a variety of different memberships. You can go to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y, and check out our membership. You can email me and ask me questions about the membership uh, if you'd like to join it. Um, we always like to have uh, more people involved. If you just want to get on there and uh, get access to our members-only page, uh, there's a button for that too. So we'd love to have you join us. Share the podcast with your friends. The more friends you have that are plant-based, the more chance you have of uh, being able to have dinner and socialize with people uh, and have buddies to support you. So thanks, as always, for listening. See you next week. Sophie knows the outtake music, but she just brought me the ball. It's time to go play.